We're going to start a series on the Lord's Prayer. And today we're just going to introduce it. I'm going to read to you from Matthew 6, 5 through 15, as Jesus responds uh, to his disciples. And this is found within the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke, he's responding to a question of the disciples. How then should we pray? And Jesus says, when you pray, you must not like be, be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Today, we declare the good news that we are free from impressing or convincing God to love us in prayer. But as we pray with Jesus, we are being filled and shaped by God's love, conformed to His image and joined to His mission. I can remember when I was a kid, I really, really wanted a four-wheeler, like an ATV. And I was like seven or eight years old. I was really young and couldn't have even driven one if I got one. But I really, really wanted one. And I remember, like, my uh, mom would, would, this one particular time, she said, hey, I have a surprise for you when you come home. And I was so excited. I was like, maybe it's a four-wheeler. You know, I had a this picture of a bow ribbon dropped around it and uh, we'd drive up into the driveway and there it would be and I remember it was like a coloring book and I was so disappointed and I remember thinking I started praying for this four-wheeler and I remember trying to make a deal with God like God if I if you'll give me a four-wheeler then I will be good then I will never lie again. I will be kind to my sister. I remember bargaining with God. I remember trying to convince God, please let me have a four-wheeler. Please give it to me. I'll be good. Now, I think that's a pretty typical way that kids can approach God, but I don't think it stops with childhood. In fact, I think it gets more and more deeply ingrained even if it becomes increasingly subconscious. That the way we pray is we try to impress God. 
or we try to convince God to give us what we want, or we try to convince God or impress God into loving us. And that's how we converse. We feel like we have to have it right. We have to be right. I know I I sometimes, if I have yelled at my kids, I don't feel like I can come to God in prayer until the anger has kind of subsided. Or if I um, have a fight with my wife, then that doesn't feel like the time to go to God in prayer. I need to kind of calm down before I come. But what I'm realizing is that I actually can come to God in my anger, as I'm angry, in my anxiety, as I'm anxious. That's how God has... He meets me where I am, just as I am. But so many of us are trying to convince God or manipulate God to try to get his head to turn towards us. If you come through for me, then I'll do this. I did wrong, so he won't hear me, so I'll make it right so he'll hear me. So when we pray, and this is important, and this is why we're talking about this, when we pray in the midst of a crisis like the coronavirus and all of these anxieties and these fears and they produce in us anger and uh, uh, anxiety. Our task in these moments in prayer is not to convince God to love us. It's not to convince God to look your way. And it's not to convince God to love and look at the people who are hurting economically and physically and emotionally. Listen, God already loves you and your neighbor who is suffering. God already wants coronavirus eliminated. This is not something we have to convince God. We don't have to persuade him to care about this or to eliminate it. God is already at work, already bringing healing and restoration to you and to the world. And his desire is already for you. His desire is already for restoration. His desire is already toward healing and redemption. And so in prayer, our task is not to convince God to act, but to join God in his action for the world. Our task in prayer is not to change God, change his mind, but rather to be changed into his likeness and into the shape of his love. Prayer, this is what prayer does. Prayer joins us to the mission of God and shapes us into the image of God. God prayer joins us to the image of mission of God and shapes us into the image of God. And so we declare again, we are free from impressing or convincing God to love us or to move on our behalf. But rather, as we pray, With Jesus, we are being filled and shaped by God's love, conformed to his image and joined to his mission. And so this is where the Lord's prayer comes in. The Lord's prayer is Jesus-shaped 
and Jesus shaping. It is both in the shape of Jesus and in the shape of love, and it shapes us into the image of Christ and to the way of love. So let's look at the text, verses 5 through 6. First of all, prayer isn't about impressing God or convincing God. It's, prayer isn't about getting spiritual street cred, right? Verses 5 through 6. It's between you and God. It's not about the religious leaders would pray in front of people, pray on the street corners. This is the live religion that we need to pile, say the right words and pray uh, for the sake of others, in front of others. And you can pray in front of others. We ought to pray in front of others and with others, but not for others. This is for God, between you and God, in community. Verse 7 through 8 makes a contrast with the pagan way of praying, with the Gentile way of praying. Prayer is not a vocabulary contest. It's not about how many words you can lob up there. It's not about how many prayer bullets you can shoot up there to get God's attention, to get God to turn towards you and to finally relent and give you what you're asking for. We're not trying to impress God or convince God to give us what we need. We don't need to. We can be real. We can be our full authentic selves. We can cry out from our guts and let God know what we need, where we are, what we feel. And he comes and meets us right there. We are free from impressing or convincing God to love us in prayer. As we pray with Jesus, as we pray this prayer of Jesus, we are being filled and shaped by God's love, conformed to his image, and joined to his mission. So let's just look at this prayer just to introduce it. We're going to dive into it more in the weeks to come. But the prayer is, first of all, Jesus-shaped. Jesus embodies this prayer. This prayer is Jesus' life. In fact, we could say Jesus' life is a prayer. It is a prayer to God, a prayer offered to God. This prayer, uh, Jesus embodies. He lives it out. He lives into it. He lives from it. He fulfills it. Let's just look at it phrase by phrase. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Listen, Jesus is God's Son. We think of Jesus as God's Son who reveals the Father perfectly and honors the Father perfectly and does nothing without the Father's direction. He says, the words I speak, I only speak what the Father has given me. He reveals, he glories, his, he's all about making the name of God great and glorifying the name of God with his life. Then we Go to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom. He is the Messiah, the reigning king of Israel, who ushers in all the hopes and dreams of God's kingdom come. He embodies it. He demonstrates the kingdom through his miracles, through his teachings, through his interactions and posture with people. And he explains that demonstration with the teachings on the kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount, the parables. 
His posture towards sinners. He explains and he provides a tangible experience of heaven come to earth. Give us this day our daily bread. We think of him feeding the 4,000. We think of him feeding the 5,000. We think of him meeting people's physical needs and bringing about provision where there was lack. We we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we think of how Jesus proclaimed forgiveness. One of my favorite episodes in the life of Jesus is when uh, these four friends lower their friend who was paralyzed down through the roof as Jesus is teaching. And the first thing Jesus does is he looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's like, what? That seems like not what he's looking for. But yeah, yeah, your sins are forgiven. And that's what's scandalous. That's what the religious leaders hate about Jesus is because only God can forgive sins. But Jesus proclaims forgiveness over and over again. And on the cross with his arms stretched out on the wood with nails piercing his flesh, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. We think of Jesus in the desert, tempted by Satan. We think of how he was faithful in every single way that Israel was unfaithful, that we are unfaithful. We think of his cry and heart-wrenching prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prays for deliverance and prays that this would pass from him. And then, it's not in our text in Matthew, it was added in later texts, but we pray it for yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. And we think of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father. And we see that he is worthy of all honor and power and glory, that he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. His is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. So we see Jesus embodies this prayer. His, this prayer is his life. His life is a prayer. It's a biography. It's an autobiography of his life on earth. So it's Jesus-shaped. It's also love-shaped. It's in the shape of love. You know, Jesus was a Jewish man who grew up in Jewish culture, who is the Jewish Messiah. And so he would have prayed the prayers of the Jewish people. One of the main prayers is the Kaddish. It's, it, it's one of, a prayer that Jesus would have prayed daily. And it starts off exactly like the Lord's Prayer. So it seems that Jesus actually plagiarized this. He, he borrows from it, and it wasn't plagiarism because he, everyone would have known. He was, he, was re, uh, he was interpreting and making this his prayer. Here's the Kaddish. This is how it went. Magnified and sanctified. Be his great name. In the world, that is our Father, hallowed be your name, who is in heaven. He created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom during your life and during your days. May your kingdom come and your will be done, right? And during the life of the house of Israel, speedily and in the near future. 
This is a call for God's kingdom to come. It's a call for God's name to be honored in all the world. And so notice how familiar the first part of the Lord's prayer is to the Kaddish. But then Jesus adds to it. He does a little Jesus riff on it. He makes a little jazz move here. He improvises. He he adds to this Jewish, this ancient Jewish way of praying. He ta- he adds the part about people. He adds the part about food and forgiveness and deliverance. And so the structure of Jesus' prayer is divided into two parts. It's the you petitions, all about God, and that's mirroring the Kaddish, and the we or us petitions, and that's all about humans. The first half is all about God. The second part is all about humans. And this reminds us of what Jesus also did to the Shema. The Shema was a prayer that was central to the life of the Israel the Jewish people. They would pray it three times a day. If you think that we ought not to pray formed prayers or already written prayers, then, um, I mean, Jesus did. Jesus likely prayed this prayer. In addition to the Kaddish, he prayed the Shema three times a day. Every good Jew, Jewish person would. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength all about God. The Jewish people would say this prayer, and Jesus did, but he adds to it the Jesus edition, the Jesus jazz riff. Mark 12, 28-32 says, you've heard it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, he adds an and, your neighbor as yourself. Again, adding the human element, love God, love others. This sums up the law and the prophets. Love sums it all up. We pray this prayer. If we love God, we pray the first part. When we pray this prayer, if we love humanity, if we love people, then we pray the second part. We are free from impressing or convincing God to love us in prayer. As we pray with Jesus, We are being filled and shaped by God's love, conformed to his image, and joined to his mission. Because as we pray this prayer, as we look and pray this prayer that is in the shape of Jesus and in the shape of love, then this prayer begins to form us. It begins to shape us into the ways of Jesus, into the shape and the posture of love. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 talks about this. What happens when we look and we contemplate on Jesus? Transformation comes. Verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You are free from impressing and convincing God. For the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And verse 18, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, look at, meditate on the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The prayer is Jesus-shaped, 
The Lord's Prayer is Jesus-shaped and Jesus-shaping. If you want to be like Jesus, we ought to pray like Jesus. If you desire to be a person shaped by love, this prayer will shape you into a person of love. When I pray this prayer, it brings focus to the, to the heart of God. And it, my heart begins to beat along with the beat of God's heart. I can't pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and be completely centered on myself and only concerned for me and not the community. I can't say our. All these requests are plural. Give us our daily bread. Lead us not in temptation. Forgive us our sins. I can't pray that prayer for me to get my bread and not be concerned for my neighbor, my fellow human beings. I cannot desire and pray that I be fed while my neighbors starve. I'm praying for us. It forms and shapes us into the shape of Jesus, into the shape of love. What we will see as we go through the Lord's Prayer and we learn to pray it is that the way, this is the way that Jesus prayed, and this is the way that Jesus desires us to pray, and this is the way that Jesus shapes us as we pray. Now, we're not just merely reciting it, but we are praying it. And we're allowing um, our prayers to be informed by these key requests and these ways of praying, these emphases. So let me give you, let's just close as I model, perhaps, as we, I lead us in a prayer, pouring the Lord's Prayer over our concerns around the coronavirus. Let's pray and just, this is how we can pray the Lord's Prayer today. Lord Jesus, we pray in the midst of the panic, of the pandemic, of the coronavirus and the death and the grief and the fear and the anxiety, that your, that your name be hallowed, that your name be trusted that your name be magnified, that your name above all other names and you would be the hope of the world above all other hopes that are posited. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth and in this pandemic and in people's lives as it is in heaven. We see that in your kingdom there is no virus. There is no plague, and there is only healing and restoration. And so, Jesus, we pray your kingdom come. We pray it would be here as it is in heaven with no disease, no grief, and no tears. Jesus, we pray, ask that you would forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us in this panic. Forgive us, Lord, as we forgive others when we have a scarcity mentality and we have hoarded rather than be, been generous, where we have panicked and feared others rather than welcoming them and into our lives. God, I pray, Lord, that lead us not in temptation. Lead us out of temptation to um, stay and be in control and cling to control. We trust you. Lead us away from the temptation to trust and to want to um, 
keep the market intact rather than human lives and community intact. Lord, lead us away from that temptation and deliver us from evil. Deliver us from this plague. Deliver us from hatred. Deliver us from fear. Deliver us from evil. And may we say that yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory in the midst of this virus and forever. Amen. Amen. That's how we might begin to pray in specifically around uh, crises and uh, problems in our lives. We can run our marriages through the Lord's Prayer. We can run our parenting through the Lord's Prayer. We can run our financial uh, situations through the Lord's Prayer. So I'm excited to begin this journey with you and looking at the shape of this prayer of Jesus and to be shaped by this prayer as a community. Amen.